Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's now time for Centered on Health with Baptist Health on News Radio 840 WHAS. Now, here's Dr. Jeff Tufflin. Good evening. This is Dr. Jeff Tufflin, your host of Centered on Health with Baptist Health. Here on News Radio 840 WHAS. Welcome to tonight's episode. Doc, uh, Jim Fenn, our producer, as always, is going to be in the studio waiting to hear your uh, questions and calls. We hope you'll call in at 502 571 8484 and be part of the conversation. I know you're going to want to tonight. You know, diabetes is one of the conditions that we all know just a little bit about. I feel like most of us probably know someone who has diabetes or is living with diabetes. Uh, We're certainly seeing more targeted ads on TV about diabetes, but what happens when it's you and you're diagnosed? Well, we're very lucky tonight to have Dr. Vazdev Lohano uh, to help us tease through those questions. Dr. Lohano is an endocrinologist and an active member of the Baptist Hospital Medical Group and leadership team. He received his medical degree from the Sin Medical College, did his internal medicine in Flushing Hospital Medical Center and his endocrinology fellowship at the University of Louisville School of Medicine. He's been a frequent guest and always provides us excellent information. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Lohano. Thank you, Dr. Olin. Glad to be here. We are certainly glad that you are here. Um, diabetes is certainly one one of those chronic conditions that I think touches us all in some ways. But tell us how you got interested in this particular specialty. Well, you know, back in medical school, you know, uh, the physiology and then endocrine system fascinated me, you know, uh, and mm-hmm. that's the honest truth. Uh, it's just the pathways, you know, the, the feedbacks and negative feedback and positive feedback. They just, they were fascinating. And so that's, that's, that's got me into it. And then some family members, you know, you know, they had, of course, endocrine issues and, you know, and you want to obviously help, you know, uh, you know, help your own family of at least, you know, well, so I that's got into great. this and, uh, yeah. And, uh, so I've been fortunate and. Yeah, I've been practicing 23 years diabetes and endocrine, and I still love it uh, as much as I did when I started, you know, practicing. Well, we're we're certainly excited to to learn from you. I know our audience is going to learn quite a bit. As I mentioned in the intro, I feel like everybody's just a little bit familiar with diabetes. But could you tell us what exactly diabetes is? What does it mean, and how how is it diagnosed? So you're 100% right. I mean, you know, if you look at the data, you know, if you just look at the diabetes numbers, it's about it's about 37 million Americans, you know, has it. But if you combine diabetes and pre-diabetes, that number reaches to 130 million people. I mean, that's one third of the country almost, you know. That's a so lot the of numbers people. are sta- yeah, that's a staggering number. So in simple words, you know, layman's language, diabetes is, is basically elevated blood glucose. That's, that's, that's the definition, you know. And of course, there are criterias set by American Diabetes Association and other organizations that are active in this space. So generally, you know, uh, generally accepted uh, uh, definition is that if you 
have a fasting glucose of 126 or above run by the lab, not by the glucometer run, done at home, just run by the lab, run by the lab. If you have a fasting glucose of more than 126 on two different occasions, that's diagnostic. But there are other mm -hmm. criteria, you know. Uh, you know, if you have a random glucose, random means any time of the day with or without meal doesn't matter. If you have random glucose run by the lab, um, that is more than 200, but you also have symptoms of high glucose, which includes like, you know, excessive urination uh, or excessive thirst or fatigue or blood vision or weight loss and so forth. And the third criteria is uh, hemoglobin A1C, which is, uh, which is commonly, uh, you know, you know, uh, checked during the, you know, diabetes follow-ups and so forth, but it also can be uh, used to, to kind of diagnose diabetes and the criteria there is uh, the uh, the level of 6.5 and above is diabetes uh, level of up to 5.6 is normal and then between 5.6 which is 5.7 to 6.4 is pre-diabetes you know so so there are multiple criteria and this just does not require fasting so you can do it any time of the day you know um, so that's that's pretty much what diabetes is diagnosed now it's much more than just glucose i can tell you of that of course you know but 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 the definition diagnostic criteria uh, is that you know so dr lano so we see in the commercials it talks a lot about lowering the a1c and you just mentioned that as well could you explain how is an a1c different than your blood sugar level so A1C is an average of three months right, versus a, a glucose, which is a, a, a single number at any time point that you can check, whether by the lab or by the finger stick, you know. Uh, so a basically glycosylation of the hemoglobin in the blood, uh, which happens as a normal phenomenon when your glucose is normal, but when you have higher glucose in, this, in your system, uh, that, that rate increases and you can measure that in the lab. And so that's that's how the A1C has come into being and then we can measure that and then kind of go back and tell the patients that, you know, hey, your A1C is, is this XYZ number and you can project that backwards that this person has been running a, a, an average glucose of so much. So I'll give you an example. Like uh, you, the generally considered number for the target is about 7%, you know, and so that corresponds to an, an average blood sugar of about 145 to 150 for the last three months. You know, so, so 90 days, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the last 90 days, your sugar has been running between 145 to 50, 150. We'll give you an A1C about seven, okay? I mean, these are not okay. exact numbers, but those are the averages, you know? Right. And then, yeah, and then each 1% above seven adds about 40 to 45 points. So now you can do the math. If somebody has an A1C of nine, what is Got the average it. sugar has been running, you know? So it gives you just a, a, instead of one snapshot at one point in time, it gives you kind of a, a longer picture of, of what the sugars have been doing. So that's, that's helpful. Um, thank you for explaining Correct. that. Now, how does somebody get diabetes? Is it, is it something we're doing the way we're living? Is it genetic? Is it, what, is it a combination? What, how does somebody get diabetes? So let's before we go there, let's let's let, let's make one thing very clear here. Uh, majority of the diabetes that we deal with, we see, we treat is type two diabetes. There are two main types of diabetes: type one and type two. Um, type one is is a uh, autoimmune disease where it usually happens in uh, you know young folks. Used to be called juvenile diabetes. 
which is not as common as type 2 to give you the, the numbers about six seven percent you know of the of the cases versus you know 92 93 percent of the cases will be just you know type 2 diabetes so let's focus on type 2 diabetes to so your question okay how do how does yeah how do how does one get diabetes so there are risk factors and type 2 diabetes is a genetic uh, predisposition so if you have a family history then you're at higher risk. So your mom, dad, uncles, brothers, sisters, grandfathers, you know, things like that. But there are other risk factors as well. Sedentary lifestyle is one. You mentioned that. Yes, definitely sedentary lifestyle is one risk factor. But if you have, uh, you know, a certain ethnic uh, origin, you know, that also increases the risk. And women, if you have history of gestational diabetes, that also increases the risk. Uh, you know, of course, the weight, if your BMI, is higher than certain numbers that increases the risk for diabetes if you have high blood pressure that increases the risk for diabetes if you have certain um, type of dyslipidemia like lipid disorder we call it dyslipidemia which is like low hdl and and small dense ldl that increases the risk for type 2 diabetes so there are a variety of risk factors uh, age obviously is is a big one as we age you know uh, I'll have to look it up. I think it's a 40 or 45, one of those numbers. If you're above that, then you're at higher risk for diabetes. So, so definitely there are risk factors. And then if you have genetic predisposition and higher the risk factors that you have, the higher the risk, you know, you have of developing type 2 diabetes. Now, you mentioned a lot of, a lot of things that um, for many people could be reversible. I mean, increased BMI, high cholesterol. If, if somebody were headed towards diabetes and corrected those individual factors, can you stave off the process or reverse the process of getting full diabetes? Oh, excellent question. So this is, this is that, you're right. That, that is possible. Again, we're talking about type 2 diabetes here, okay? Right, yes, yes. That. And uh, type 2 diabetes, you know, is a process. It's not a light switch that you turn on and off. Like today you don't have diabetes and tomorrow you have diabetes. That's not how type, type, type 2 diabetes works. So you have the underlying uh, disorder, which uh, is called insulin resistance, which is genetically, you know, predisposed and then environmentally obviously get triggers. So you go from normal to pre-diabetic phase to diabetic phase. You know, that's how the progression happens. And that could be, you know, years in between, you know, like years, you know, we go from normal to pre-diabetes, right. you stay in that, and then you become diabetic. So the intervention time that you are looking at is the pre-diabetic, pre-diabetic phase. If you are in pre-diabetic phase, and if you do an intervention uh, with lifestyle changes, you know, you focus on your diet and activity and you try to lose weight, then yes, there are data that you can reduce the risk of developing type 2 diabetes by almost 60%, you know. Fantastic. Uh, just, uh, yeah, just with diet and activity, yes. Wonderful. Well, we're going to learn a lot more about the diabetes and the symptoms and the complications when we come back from this short break. You're listening to Dr. Vazdev Lahano. I'm Dr. Jeff Tovlin here on Centered on Health. We're going to take a short break. News Radio 840 WHAS. Welcome back to Centered on Health with Baptist Health here on News Radio 840 WHAS. I am your host, 
Dr. Jeff Tublin, and we've been talking with Dr. Vazdev Lahano, endocrinologist with the Baptist Medical Group, about living with diabetes and understanding it and taking care of ourselves. Uh, our phone number, if you want to be a part of the conversation, and I know with these numbers of how many people are involved, there must be lots of questions. So our phone number is 502 502- 571-8484. Please call in and, and we'll be happy to take your questions. Uh, Dr. Lahano, could you give us just a brief description of the pancreas and, and what its job is so that we can kind of understand it in the context of patients who have diabetes? So pancreas um, uh, is an organ that obviously sits in the middle of the stomach, you know, behind the liver. Uh, it has two main uh, functions. So we call it endocrine and exocrine. Exocrine pancreas is not what we're talking about here. That's, that is involved in the digestion of the food on a day-to-day basis. Okay. The endocrine part of the pancreas is what, uh, you know, uh, what, 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 what basically, you know, uh, is involved in the management of glucose, okay? You know, glucose homeostasis, we call it. So it, it, it has two main hormones uh, that it secretes based upon the need of a person insulin and glucagon okay insulin is the hormone that comes from the pancreatic beta cells that basically takes the glucose from the blood and facilitate its transportation into the tissues where it is needed for the energy use the glucose okay and then the glucagon is the opposite hormone of insulin it basically causes the glucose to rise in the bloodstream by a variety of functions like working on the liver and kidneys and so forth you know so so they basically both work in sync to maintain the glucose uh, in a normal person to a normal level. Now, diabetes happens when you know your pancreas is not able to meet the need uh, for pain, for insulin production uh, due to the demand of glucose. That's pretty much a mis mis disbalance or misbalance or unbalance or whatever we call it. So. There is more glucose in the system available, but the pancreas is not able to make enough insulin to dispose of that glucose into the tissues, and therefore you have higher level of glucose in the bloodstream, and which is basically the definition of diabetes. Okay. There is also a dysfunction where you know your glucagon normally should suppress, you know, should be suppressed during the time when you have too much glucose. It is also disordered and contributes you know, by a variety of functions to the glucose that's already in the system by working on liver and kidneys and so forth. So it's basically a, uh, a dysfunction uh, where uh, the mechanisms that are designed to keep things in check are not functioning and contributes to hyperglycemia. Well, I have two things to say. One was, is thank you for that explanation. And two is, I'm going to, I should have had you as my study partner for the internal medicine board. So thank you. <laughs> Thanks for that explanation. I'll make sure to call you when I have to recertify. Um, so you mentioned some symptoms. I think you, you talked about increased urination as a symptom. So I'm listening to the show. I'm a, I'm a, a Louisvillian and I'm listening to this. How do I know if I need to be concerned that I might have diabetes? What are the other symptoms that I might need to bring up to my my provider to tell them that I'm concerned about this? So, uh, you know, if you notice any change in the way you feel, you know, I mean, generally speaking, you know, uh, it's of course an insidious onset, which means it's very slow. It's not dramatic, right? But, you know, to a person, you know, they can identify if they are getting tired easier uh, or earlier than usual. So that's one thing that, you know, you need to, you can pay attention. Of course, 
if you are going to the bathroom more than usual, especially at night, if you have to wake up and if you're a person who never used to wake up, then you start waking up once or twice, that's concerning. Now, if you, most men, you know, in, in their 40s, 50s, you know, they will wake up once. But if, if that frequency changes, then that should be something. I mean, the other time, sometimes, you know, you, you start craving sweets, you know. You, you know, I, I actually saw one patient today, you know, and it was a new onset, 46, 47-year-old gentleman. And, huh. and he said, you know, all of a sudden my, I don't drink sodas, but all of a sudden I had this urge to drink sodas, you know. And he was drinking tons of sodas, you know. So if there's a change in, the, in, in, your, in your kind of daily routine that you feel like something is off, then I think that's worth it. Blood vision is one of them. Okay? Weight loss, if you have un, unaccounted weight loss, if you're not trying to lose weight and then you lost 5 to 10 pounds out of the blue, that's something to, be, to think about. You know, now you can lose more, but I mean, I think, so, so there are like, a, these are subtle. Some people will be happy with weight loss, but this is not right. something you want to lose. Right, right. You know? And uh, so, so I think, you know, if you have anything unusual happening, uh, if you have a sore that's not healing, we have diagnosed diabetes in that situations where somebody got, you know, hurt in their feet or something like that. And then, you know, it's not healing. Uh, well, that, that's, you know, that's, that's concerning because yeah. diabetes will, diabetes will slow down your healing ability. You know? it, it basically decreases your immune function. So, so, so things like that, anything unusual, I think, you know, should trigger that. That's that's great advice. So that would probably lead you to, you know, your primary care provider. Who can, probably I, is, can I make is one comment? Step. Can I make of one course, more you could make as many as you'd like. I, I would like to take the opportunity to to encourage everybody that is forty five and above to get their annual visit seriously, because you can pick up a lot of things in that and save you a lot of trouble. Make sure you have a good primary care uh, physician or provider. And uh, and get your routine annual set a month that you, that you do it and, and get those done. Not only diabetes, but everything else. You know, like your blood pressure, your cholesterol, your screenings, different screenings, your vaccinations, and all that. I think that saves a lot. So, so, so you're lot. you're ahead. saying you're saying even without any of these symptoms that we just talked about, you're recommending people get their their routine checkups at, and get and go and, in and get those done. Absolutely, yes. Wonderful. Should not wait for those. Yeah, should Great. not wait for that, yes. So once once they're in the care of the, you know, a primary care physician or a family practice uh, provider, what would make the decision to go on and refer to a specialist like you? Like who needs an endocrinologist versus um, someone who could be managed through their primary care office? Great question, because there are not many endocrinologists in the country who can manage 37 million of diabetics, you know. That's right. So, <laughs> you know, so, so, so majority of the diabetes type 2 can be managed by primary care physicians, you know, uh, in their offices. But again, you have to recognize the diabetes requires a multidisciplinary team approach. It's not a simple disease that you can just go and take your pill and, uh, or insulin and go home. Uh, so I propose a team approach, you know, I said, you know, you, you make, a, 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 you know, you make sure that you have a physician or a provider or a clinician that you work with, that you click with, and that you're comfortable with. And then obviously you want to include, you know, a diabetes educator, make sure a pharmacist, you know, I understand, you know, with, uh, with, the, with the healthcare system, you know, people are forced to use certain pharmacies, but it's still right. try to make sure you have a good relationship with your pharmacist. Those are crucial people. 
Uh, and then obviously, uh, you know, diabetes educator is important uh, in, in this is this this scheme. So your physician or a clinician, your, you know, your diabetes educator and your pharmacist, and and you basically use them to get the best care that that you need. You you know, you means the patient is the in charge. He or she is essentially driving this. You know, and uh, so that's that's the that's the fundamental. Now, who can we take? Who who should we refer to endocrinologist? I mean, anytime if you are having a struggle uh, reaching the goals, first of all, you know, you have to define what is your goal, which has been, uh, uh, you know, reviewed again, uh, reviewed by the societies depending upon uh, the age and the comorbidities. Generally, accepted goal is 7% A1C, but if a younger patient without any comorbidities, you know, there's no harm to bring them to 65 or even 6%. But an elderly folk, who uh, has multiple comorbidities, you can leave them at seven and a half and eight percent. So there is there is individualization of that. Interesting. Okay. And, uh, you know, yeah. So uh, so if if you are having trouble, uh, if you feel like you know you have a polypharmacy where you have a lot of medications are happening, and you know uh, we are seeing some duplication of therapies now. So so I think you know, if you're not reaching to the goal, then you might want to seek out some help. But if you're able to manage, which majority of the people can, provided they take the charge, they do a lifestyle component, which is which is crucial. You know, I mean, I call it yeah. foundation of the management. Uh, if you don't have that, and you know, just relying on the medicine, it's going to be tough. I can tell you that's going to be tough. Be and the patient, and the patient needs to take a very active role in in that process, right? Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. because you know, without that, it's going to be very difficult. You know, if we're relying on just the just the pharmaceuticals to to control, it's going to be difficult until unless the patient is on board, uh, actively involved, take the ownership of the disease process, their own health, uh, you know, do the lifestyle management, which includes obviously two components: the diet and the activity, uh, and then obviously the pharmacy, you know, has has a role in that, and those medications needs to be picked up you know, um, based upon the patient characteristics as to Fantastic. what exactly, you know, uh, they, they will benefit from, you know? Well, we have still a lot to cover. We need, we're going to go over complications of diabetes and treatments of diabetes coming up. So we're going to take a short break. And I'd like to remind everyone, you're listening to Centered on Health with Baptist Health here on News Radio 840 WHAS. You can still call in 502-571-8484 if you'd like to ask Dr. Lohano a question. He's been giving us lots of great information. We will see you after the break. Welcome back to Centered on Health with Baptist Health here on News Radio 840 WHAS. I'm your host, Dr. Jeff Tumlin, and we've been talking with Dr. Vazdev Lahano about living life with diabetes after being diagnosed. I want to remind everybody that you can download the iHeartRadio app. It's free, it's easy to use, and you can listen to tonight's show in its entirety or any of our other excellent content. Dr. Lahano, so we talked about how the pancreas is involved in diabetes, but the reality is, is the effects of diabetes I mean, the, the list of organs, it, it's, it's almost endless. Diabetes seems to be on every list of complications. Can you talk to us about the dangers of diabetes and it being left untreated? So, so 
so Dr. Allen, you're 100% right. It affects pretty much every single organ system in the body, you know, right from the top, you know, which is your head or brain, all the way to your toes, you know. Uh, it obviously increases the risk for a stroke, we know that. Dementia, we know that. You know, it can increase the risk for carotid artery disease, which is peripheral vascular disease. It increases the risk for heart attacks, and, you know, we know that. Uh, it increases uh, the risk for kidney diseases, we know that. Peripheral vascular disease, neuropathy, amputations, eye disease, blindness. So it's it's much more than glucose. It's basically a systemic disease uh, which affects the vascular system. Now, we have vascular system throughout the body, so nothing is spared. And if uh, if someone has diabetes, which is left unchecked, then they are at risk for all these complications. It also decreases your immune uh, system, which is uh, uh, essentially push you at the risk for number one, higher risk for infection, and uh, higher risk for day, you know, uh, severe infection. You know, a yeah. normal person uh, without diabetes get the same infection, can be treated, you know, fairly quickly with antibiotics, whereas a diabetic with the same infection uh, will be struggling, you know. So this is a combination where if you have infection and if you have vascular disease, uh, uh, basically a double whammy, so to speak, you know. Uh, yeah. so, so the complications definitely uh, increases the comorbidities and, uh, of course, increases the mortality as well. And, and do... Do most of the patients have one of these presentations at diagnosis that you see, or are these things that, you know, we're able to really get in there and make a difference so we can prevent a lot of these things? Because in GI, you know, as a gastroenterologist, we see the, the GI complications of diabetes. I'm sure almost every specialty does. Um, are you seeing that we're getting to, the, to patients too late, that they're already developing these complications, or are we doing a better job of getting to them and treating them before this happens? So if you would have asked me that question five to ten years ago, I would have said, you know, we are we are late, okay? But we have okay. made significant progress, you know, but are we there yet? The answer is no. Uh, we definitely are finding patients. Oftentimes, you know, I get consulted in our CVCU at Floyd to see a patient for diabetes and they have just undergone either cabbage or they're just going undergoing, you know, cabbage is a bypass surgery for our uh, listeners. Uh, you know, so if, if they're either getting ready to go to, you know, bypass surgery or they already had bypass surgery and they did not know had diabetes, you know. Right. So we have seen cases like that, okay? I'm sure you have come across those cases as well. Uh, most common thing that we fully see is a neuropathy, you know, uh, which is, you know, oftentimes even present even before a full-blown diabetes is diagnosed. So we're seeing the neuropathy even in pre-diabetics. And can you just explain so, what that means? What is What do you mean by neuropathy? So neuropathy is the damage to the nerves. These are small fiber nerves that apply, you know, supply, you know, the, the, the neural system to your, you know, either fingers or your toes, mostly, you know, the, mostly the affected organs of the toes. So you have this numbness and tingling and burning pain, especially once at night. We're seeing that even, you know, like in a pre-diabetes state, you know. So, so you know, complications are happening. There's no question about it. But are we doing a better job? 
I think we are. I mean, I think our primary care folks have up their game, you know, with all the information and education that is coming down from all the data that we have gathered and, you know, mm-hmm. the society is doing a good job. So definitely we're doing a good job. Of course, it's a, it's a complex issue and patients have to take charge on their health. As I just said earlier in the segment that if you do your routine exams before you have symptoms, then you can pick up prediabetes and you can start working on it. That's where the prevention starts. Prevention doesn't start when you already have diabetes. That's uh, excellent. You know. Excellent point. You know, I, I love the concept of, you know, the patient being involved and, and taking ownership. And one thing I remember from a long time ago was it wasn't so easy to, to monitor your blood sugar. I mean, taking, getting a, a reading of your blood sugar multiple times a day with finger sticks and all sorts of things that patients had to do, it was probably a little bit of a both physical and maybe a little bit of an emotional barrier to, to doing this. What, what have we, what have we done about having to stick our fingers every day and, and, and for the patients um, who are living with this condition? So that's, that's an excellent question. You know, um, we have come a long way and I'm, I'm still surprised at why it took us so much, so long a time. Uh, to go from the uh, glucometers, which is commonly, you know, your meters that people use, the strips and all that, which is still being used. But nowadays we have technology. These are sensors that you can basically uh, uh, put on. They can, depending upon the company that you're using, there are two main companies that are out there, uh, either 10 days or 14 days, that gets you out of, you know, doing the finger stick blood sugar multiple times a day, which is awesome and phenomenal, you know. Uh, you can basically put uh, a, a sensor on the back of your arm and use your smartphone, download an app, and move that phone on top of that sensor. It tells your sugar. You can do it up to 50 times a day without breaking your finger. That sensor stays on for 14 days, and you can change it. They're relatively affordable. A lot of the insurances are paying for it. Of course, again, the healthcare system that we have, there are barriers. Uh, but but we're getting there. I mean, that has, uh, in my opinion, that has revolutionized the the management of diabetes because that changes the behavior of the person. They see what they're doing, what they're eating. And that essentially, I mean, I've seen cases where no change in the pharmaceuticals and the patient dropped their A1C from anywhere between from 0.5 to 1.5 to 2% just because they get motivated they see the instant feedback they know that hey i i I mean i had this soda or i had this pizza you know and that caused my sugar to be high for the next four or four hours or next time i'm not going to do that you know so So, they're getting that immediate feedback of something that they ate and what it does to fluctuate their blood sugar number one is immediate number two is they can check 50 times a day so with right. finger stick, you cannot do that. You know, you cannot have 50 finger sticks in a day, right? Here, you know, you can basically just keep moving every 30 minutes, you know, on, on your phone or your or your receiver on this. And that plots the, 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 the graph. So, you know, a week later, you can essentially see what your trains are. You know, you can identify, you know, which meals you've been not behaving, so to speak, and which meals you're behaving, you know. So I, I think that that human beings, you know, do make changes when they see themselves. Okay, I did this. Or I think most of us, you know, will change our behavior if if we know that we are hurting ourselves. You know, but with finger stick, you know, you just do one or two and a point of care. You don't get the full picture, so to speak. You know, so now you're getting better picture. You know, I you know you know so 
So I think that has helped a lot. Uh, I would love to see every diabetic or even pre-diabetic to have this, these sensors so they can essentially stay informed of their, of their status, you know. And these are sensors that you described, these are like stickers that they put on. This is not implanted in, under the skin or anything. So, so there is a small catheter and they have device that basically, you know, uh, uh, inserted. There's a very small plastic catheter that is barely even, you know, that you can feel. And there is an adhesive underneath, okay, so it attaches to it. It's a very small, the newer one that they have, um, it's the size of two pennies together, you know. Wow, so, that's small. And these are, uh, you know, uh, waterproof, so you can shower, you can do, you can, you can live your life. They don't. That's wonderful. Care of it. And that's so easy to to kind of, you know, manage that, you know, it's no brainer. I mean, it's, it's awesome. Well, of course, medications are part of the treatment, and we're going to talk about that in our final segment. So I want to remind everyone that you're listening to Centered on Health with Baptist Health here on News Radio 840 WHAS. Our guest tonight, Dr. Vazdev. Lohano teaching us all about living with the diagnosis of diabetes. Um, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about medications. We'll see you at the other side of the break. Welcome back to Centered on Health with Baptist Health here on News Radio 840 WHAS. I'm your host, Dr. Jeff Tublin. We've been talking with Dr. Vazdev Lahano about living life with diabetes. Uh, remember to download the iHeartRadio app. You can re-listen to this or any of our previous segments and have access to all the other features that this app has to offer. In this uh, segment, we're going to be talking about the treatment of diabetes and we are going to start with a question that we have uh, from Greg about his diabetes medications. Uh, Greg, you are on with Dr. Lahano. How are you guys doing this evening? We're doing great. How are Thanks you? Doing? Hello. Hi, Greg. Good. Thanks for taking my call. Dr. Tuttle, I hope you had a good time at the Derby last weekend. If you went, and if you did, I hope you won some money. Well, I appreciate that. With my had... oh. What's that? Oh. I'm sorry to mean to interrupt you. Uh, we had a great time, and I hope everybody else did too. So uh, you are on with Dr. Lohano. My question is about my wife, Emmy, who's a diabetic, and she's been taking medications for years. But re just recently, they're trying to get her to switch medications to some of the – she's very stable on what she's taking, and she's very reluctant to switch to the new ones. Is there an advantage or disadvantage to switching? So – uh, this is a great question. Depending upon, the answer is always like, you know, there's no, I cannot give you a specific advice, but generally speaking, at least my practice is don't fix what's not broken, you know. Mm -hmm. So if things are working fine, you know, then that's great. But I'll tell you, the newer medications that have come out, they are, they have multiple other benefits, you know. And if you, if you hear the segment, uh, you know, the entire segment, Diabetes is not just glucose. It is a disease that increases the risk for complication. The most feared complications are vascular complications, especially related to your heart and kidneys, right? So the newer medications that have come out, they not only lower your glucose, but they protect your heart. They mm -hmm. reduce the risk of death. Certain medications, you know, can lower your risk of death by, uh, by heart disease by about 25%. They, they protect your kidneys. So... You know, in, in my mind, okay, you know, would I leave those, you know, benefits on the table? 
the answer is probably not. At least I will discuss with my first patient and bring them on, on in, uh, in the conversation. And I like to make a shared decision. I don't make a decision on, on my patient's behalf until unless I have to. I like to kind of inform them, educate them, and then provide my, you know, recommendation. And then we do what we both agree on, okay, patient and myself. So I think it's worth exploring, depending upon the clinical situation. If she has, uh, if she already have heart disease or she's very high risk, or if she already have kidney disease, and there are medications that can protect her heart or kidneys, then then I think that's a good, good thing. But if you want to protect them anyway, you don't want to wait to have a heart attack or a cabbage or or a stent placement and then protect it. We should protect what we got to begin with, right? So so I think the conversation is important. These medications are not simply a swap one for the other just because they control the glucose because now you're getting other benefits. I hope I answered the question. Family history of heart disease. Her father had a bypass uh, probably 10 years ago. So she does family history. So maybe that's the reason they are looking to switch her. Yeah, so, so yes. there has to be some other reason. And I think it's worth, worth discussing. I think, you know, I encourage all my patients to ask questions. You know, there's no, there's no, you know, there's no reason to just accept whatever, you know, your your physician or clinician is telling you, which is, which I'm sure they're doing it in a good faith, you know. But I think it's a good to have a conversation so that, you know, a patient understands and that increases the compliance, that increases the motivation, you know. Uh, because they now know why, what this medicine is doing or what benefit I'm getting. Uh, so that's, that's very important for a compliance perspective because this is a lifelong disease. You know, and chances are if you go on a medication, if you're tolerating it, if you're able to afford it, and it's working, then you're going to stay on it until you die. That's how the diabetes is treated, you know. So, so it's good to know what medications you're on, what benefits you're getting, what potential side effects are. And, and from time to time, I think it's worth exploring, hey, is there anything else out there that is more beneficial? Because if you asked me 10 years ago, our whole focus was just treating the glucose. We wouldn't worry about, you know, the heart or the stroke or the kidney because there was nothing we could do anyway other than low. Now these agents have dual, you know, triple action. So it's worth, you know, exploring because as a diabetic, you're at high risk for all these vascular complications to begin with. Even if you don't have the complications, you're at high risk. Because diabetes is equivalent to heart disease, you know, and that's the studies have shown. So, Greg, it sounds like Emmy's doing a great job taking care of herself and uh, work together with your primary care about that that decision. I hope you got your question answered. Thank you for for calling in tonight, um, Doctor Lohano. I'm going to ask you something that you probably could have a whole a whole night on, but I'm going to ask you in about the last thirty seconds to. Tell us about these new medications and what which ones are kind of the newest ones that we're we're seeing. So the the, the, the most newest are these once a week agents. We call them GLP one agonists in our language. You know these commonly are. I mean I can name names: the Ozempic, Manjaro, and Trulicity. And then there's a second class called SGLT two blockers. Common names would be Jardians, uh, Stiglatro, or you know Farsiga and Wakana. Uh, these are two different kind of classes. Uh, works differently, but but both of these classes, I think, uh, have improved or shown that they definitely help improve diabetes, but also help with weight loss and also help with cardiovascular renal protection. So I think they are worth exploring, you know. Uh, of course, you know, uh, you know, we, the payers, you know, uh, is important, you know, who's going to pay and all that. But I think, you know, from the clinical perspective, uh, I will certainly uh, encourage patients to, to talk to their clinicians 
uh, about these agents, see if they will be fit for their particular scenario and will they benefit. Well, we'll definitely have to have you back and we'll, we may need a whole show just on that. Well, I can't believe it, but that does it for another segment of Centered on Health with Baptist Health. I'm your host, Dr. Jeff Tubman. Thank you so much, Dr. Lahano. I can't tell you how much wonderful information. I hope everybody has a great week. We'll see you next Thursday. This program is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as medical advice. The content of this program is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is not designed to replace a physician's medical assessment and medical judgment. Always seek the advice of your physician with any questions or concerns you may have related to your personal health or regarding specific medical conditions. To find a Baptist Health provider, please visit BaptistHealth.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.